Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, as we finish up our series about what we believe, we got a big hum back here somewhere. Um, Can you have one of the guys come out and check this? Um, Let me go ahead and mention a couple of things that are coming up. And uh, we've got uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting uh, that we're doing. And uh, if you'll go to the Gateway website, uh, it'll probably be up by tomorrow. Uh, You'll find material there that'll help and guide you. Uh, There are lots of different ways uh, to do a fast. Uh, It's not just about food. It can be about uh, taking, you know, taking a fast from social media or certain other things just so that you create the time to give a full focus on uh, what God would have you to do and uh, in focusing, focusing it on him. And so you'll find this material on the web page. And so be sure to go and look at that tomorrow. Um, also next Sunday, our baptism at the lake. We're excited about that. And uh, if some of you, you, you know, you've been a part of Gateway for a while, but you've not had that full immersion baptism. Uh, the reason we baptize that way is because that's uh, the way Jesus was baptized. And, and there's nothing magical about it, but it is uh, something that we do follow because that is your public confession that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. That's the purpose of the baptism is to publicly confess that Jesus is the one that you are following. So today, as we end up our series about what we believe, we're going to be talking about the church and, and the church in terms of the definition of it. What does it mean based on scripture? Uh, in Galatians 6, 9, it says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. And we just stop and think about that for a moment. You have to ask the question, well, who defines what is good? You see, so often when it comes to church, we think we get to make the definitions. We, we think that we're the ones that decide what church ought to be. But it's God that makes that decision. So let's not get tired of doing what is good, but God defines what is good. He gets to set the definition. And then it says, at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Now that suggests to me that sometimes Church work is going to be very difficult, very hard, and you might not see results for some time. And he's telling me, he says, look, you you don't give up because you never know. God knows, but we don't know when things, when God actually changes a person's life and when things begin uh, to happen in a person's life, our job is to do what God's told us to do. The results are up to him. We can do things that manufacture results, but are are they of any value? Will they even last? And if we, I remember one time um, I was dealing with the church and they had reported over 60 some baptisms. And so the challenge I issued to them, I said, well, I want you to go back and check on all 60 of those people 
And this was like two years later. And, and just tell me where they are in the church and how they're doing. And out of those 60 people, they could only find two. Hmm. Uh, you see, maybe they did something that just convinced a bunch of people to jump in some water. But were lives really changed? You see, we have to do things God's way. And we have to wait on God. God decides what is good. And fortunately, he's done that in scripture. And that's why we go there. Let, let me just give you some basic truths about church. Number one, there is no correlation between the size of a church and the strength of a church. I mean, I, I can show you churches that are massive in numbers, but as far as making a difference in their community, as far as, um, I, I mean, I was talking to one individual and they were bragging about their church. This was when we were down in Texas and, um, they said, yeah, in our church, we got a bowling alley. We we've got a gym we even have a, a, like a grocery store that people can go shopping in. In fact, we have created such an environment that we don't have to get out in the world at all. I said, hmm. But isn't that the very thing God has called the church to do? Is to get out into the world? It sounds like to me, you're just isolating yourself. And so it's a massive church that's making no difference whatsoever in their community. So there's no, no correlation between size and strength. Don't assume that just because a church has got a lot of numbers, they must be doing something. You see, just doing something doesn't always translate into what God is up to and what God is doing. Number two. There is more than one method as to how you do church. There are a lot of different methods. And, and that's why we never criticize what God is doing in other churches. You know, as long as they're fulfilling the Great Commission, uh, you know, and however they choose to do that, that's not our job to criticize. God has never given us that responsibility. And so there is more than one way to do it. In fact, number three, it takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. And uh, there are churches are all around us that are going to reach people we will never reach. And then there are people, their people will reach that they won't reach. So it takes all kinds of churches. That's why when you go in the New Testament and you study about the different kinds of churches, they were all very different. They did things differently. They did it based on where they were located and how they could meet the needs of the people in their community. Number four, the key is making sure that our message, that, it, it, that uh, our, we are making our method uh, is biblical. The key is making sure that your method, and I'd also say message, is biblical. That's the key. So number five, never confuse methods with message. The message must never change. Never. The methods, they must change. I mean, they're going to change all the time. 
if you want to, you know, people say, well, church used to always have an organ. No, it didn't. There was a time when it was wrong to have any musical instruments in a church traditionally. In fact, when one of the Baptist churches in the United States put an organ in their church, a bunch of people in the church got upset about it and drug it out and burned it. Methods change. Then you go through a time when every church had an organ. Methods change. And so don't confuse methods with the message. And this is where I had to, I had to learn a lot because I grew, I mean, I like church organs. I grew up with that. That's my tradition. But it would be wrong for me to, to impose on you or this church my traditions that I grew up with just because that's what I'm comfortable with. I have to think in terms of who are we trying to do? What are we trying to do in this community? What is God calling us to do? So methods change, styles change, and that's okay. Don't confuse, I, I mean, the methods you and I grew up with, <clears throat> they, they were just a few decades ago. And <clears throat> there was a time where it was heresy what we did. You just keep following it all the way back. And there was a time when those traditions that we think are so wonderful was heresy. Everything's got a history to it. So that's why we don't think so much about the methods, but we do focus on the message. So here's the deal. Every church is driven by some type of force. Every single church. Some churches are driven by tradition. We've always done it that way, and we've always had that at that time of the year, and that's what we do it, and that's the way it's going to be, and that's the way it has to be because that's the way we've always done it. Some churches are just driven by their traditions, and, you know, that's okay. Some churches are driven by personalities, whether they have a celebrity-type pastor or sometimes it's a layperson. Have you ever been in a church where there was one or two lay people that if they didn't give their seal of approval, something didn't happen? Have you ever been in a church where certain personalities, if they weren't happy, nobody was happy? Some churches are driven by personalities. <clears throat> Some churches are driven by finances. I mean, they, they think about it a lot and they want to have a whole bunch of money in the bank and, and it even gets them to a point of self-reliance. So some churches are driven by their finances. Some churches are driven by their buildings um, and there's nothing wrong with buildings, but sometimes when it becomes a prideful thing and sometimes when those buildings take the vast majority of your resources to keep, to keep them up, um, I've got a friend who's pastoring a church and um, <clears throat> they have a building that is basically absolutely useless to them. And the reason it's useless is because it needs so many upgrades and it's going to cost a fortune that it's cheaper to go ahead and tear it down and build a new building. However, back in the day, the building was named after somebody. 
This is why we never put anybody's name on anything in this church. <laughs> and so when the church made the decision, you know, we just need to tear this building down. The family of that individual just was in an uproar and created such a mess in the church that the church backed down. And so now they have that dilapidated building that absolutely cannot be used for anything. That's tragic, right? That's sad. And that church that's landlocked doesn't have a lot of land to deal with. It's taken up precious space for them. But that family's got a building with the name on it, even though it's a useless building. Some churches are driven by programs. Um, you know, they're, they're, everything's around the programs. That's okay. Some churches are driven by events. Well, we have events, but let me tell you something that we do. Our staff, on a regular basis, we evaluate our events. And if our events are not meeting the purpose of our church, then we really start evaluating that event. Should we even continue that event? And so there have been times when we've pulled the plug on some things, and even though it was difficult and it was a challenge, it was the right thing to do because we were manufacturing all this energy uh, to do that event that really wasn't accomplishing anything. And then we've gone through a time, especially in our church culture, uh, seeker-sensitive type churches. Um, there's nothing wrong with being sensitive to people who come into your church but when you cross a line that we become, well, what do they want kind of church? Then you start preaching watered down sermons that tickle the ears. Then you start backing down from the hard truths of scripture. And you're not doing that seeker any good at all. You see, if I'm just trying to make a seeker feel good and comfortable well, what about when we have to start dealing with the hard truth of what scripture teaches? So I would suggest to you that out of all those reasons that some churches are driven, none of them are biblical. Not a single one of the things I just mentioned to you are biblical. They're just not in scripture. But there is a biblical alternative and that is to become a church that is driven by God's given purpose. In fact, Jesus gave those purposes. In Proverbs 19, it says, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. So I can spend all my time spending all my wheels, spending all of our money doing the things that we think we ought to do, but we should just stop and just say, all right, God, what is your purpose? Because it's going to prevail anyway. Why don't we just start with that? And thus, this is a perfect time to have 21 days of prayer and fasting so that we as a church are saying, God, what is your purpose? You as an individual can say, God, I'm tired of my plans because they never seem to work out. What is your purpose? What are your plans for my life as an individual? What a perfect time to do that. Now let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we'll begin to lay a foundation here. 
Now, I read at the front end, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. The question you should ask yourself then, who defines what is good, right? I mean, if, if I'm not to get tired of doing what is good, well, then what is good? <laughs> and who gets to define what is good? Well, God does. God defines what is good. And that's why I go back to scripture, because I want to tell you, sometimes I think there are some things that are good and they're just not. They're good for me and I like it, but that doesn't mean it's honoring to God. So who defines good? God does. Now, in 1 Corinthians Paul says, because of God's grace to me, so God's grace is what allowed him to do what he did, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder because of God's grace. Not because of Paul, but because of God's grace. Now others are building on it. Now he's talking about building a church, not a building, physical building, but building the church, the people. He says, now others are building on it. So we need to read these verses because this is talking about the very beginning of the church and what's going on. He says, now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. Warning. There's a warning in scripture. When it comes to God's church, you got to be very careful and you got to be very serious. Because God is, God is very serious and he defines what is good for no one can lay any foundation other than one we have already, uh, that we already have Jesus Christ. So there's a first clue. <clears throat> the church is founded on Jesus and nothing else and no one else, no other personality. The church is not about our personalities. That's why I never get too excited about celebrity pastors. Anything that puts a spotlight on a person other than Jesus, I get leery of it. The human, human nature has a hard time dealing with such focus. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. In other words, there are lots of different ways to build the church, methods. He's talking about methods here. And he says, so you have gold, silver, and jewels. So that's the precious stuff. You have wood, hay, and straw. That's the not so precious stuff. That's the stuff that's just worthless and wasteful. So you have a choice. You can build on Jesus Christ's church with things that are of value, or you can build on the church of Jesus Christ with things that are worthless. That's why we must be very careful. Anyone who builds on the foundation uses a variety of material, but on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. That's God's judgment fire. That's God's um, revealing fire. It has nothing to do with salvation. But one day, holy God will test this church. 
And he will examine how we have spent our resources. He will examine how we have spent our time and our energy. And he will say, okay, here's the stuff that was of great value. Here's the stuff that was a waste of time. I, I re, um, well, let me finish this passage and I want to tell you, tell you a story. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. And now, <clears throat> has any value? Who defines value? Well, guess what the answer is? God. God defines what is good. God defines what is of value. God makes those decisions. Now, let me tell you the story. I, I was uh, I'm meeting with a group of pastors that kind of helping them through the pandemic and, you know, how churches change and all this stuff. And so I was meeting with a group uh, on Thursday. We were having lunch together. And, and so I asked them the question. I said, so what, what are you going to change during this time? And almost every one of them said, I'm going to get rid of Wednesday night. You know, they said, you know, the Wednesday night schedule just drains us and it accomplishes nothing. And uh, we feed everybody an inexpensive meal. They come and eat and they leave. And we're not in the restaurant business. And uh, now there's nothing sacred about a Wednesday night. And if a church has Bible studies on Wednesday, there's nothing right or wrong about that. It's not a moral issue. Uh, they were just talking about their traditions. This has been the tradition of our church forever. And it's a, it has gotten to the point. It's of no value whatsoever. It does not help us to fulfill our purpose. And uh, I remember when Gateway, we, we did away with Wednesday night schedule. And uh, we, now we still had other activities on Wednesday night. We had prayer groups and we had some uh, Bible studies, uh, small group Bible studies. And, uh, but I had an individual and said, Pastor, I, just, I, just, I grew up with there being a Bible study every Wednesday night by the pastor. Would you please do that? I said, you know what? I tell you what, I'm going to do that. So I started the Wednesday night Bible study and uh, he came to the very first one. And after the Bible study, he says, thank you so much. This means so much to me. Thank you for doing this. He never came back to another one. And I went, hmm, now I get it. He wants to feel good about his church doing what he grew up with, whether he comes or not. It makes him feel good to know that it's happening. That's not the reason to do anything, right? God decides what is good and God decides what has value. So here again, I am not trashing traditions. I have my traditions. I love my traditions. You've got your traditions. You love your, you're comfortable with that. You grew up with that. And, and uh, I'm telling you what, you know, sometimes I'll go and, and uh, on TV and I'll listen to a, you know, a big choir sing and it brings back memories of my childhood and that's okay. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But I have to decide, but what is God's purpose for us right now? 
What is God calling us to do? And are we doing it? Because we can do all this traditional stuff and we can do all these other things and they make us feel good. But if it's not God's purpose and it's not helping fulfill God's purpose, it's wood, hay and straw. And there were some things I had to let go of that I love. And I realized it was wasting my time and energy from doing what really mattered. So Jesus gave us these two statements. The five purposes of the church, and this is nothing new to those who've been here a while, was given by Jesus in two statements. First was the great commandment. In Matthew 22, they came to Jesus and said, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Love the Lord. Love your Lord. The Lord your God with all your being. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor. So love your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So Jesus was basically saying, if you miss these two, you've missed it. If these two aren't in play, why do anything else? These, these two, these are the, this is it. And then as he was getting ready to leave to go back to heaven... He gave the great commission, Matthew 28. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So not just your neighborhood. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that's why we say that when we baptize people. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So here are the five instructions for the church. Love your God. That's worship. We're to worship God. We don't worship people. We don't worship things. We worship God. And every song that we sing focuses on the Lord but it's not just about music. It's not just about music at all. We worship God in our preaching and in our service. You know, yesterday when we had a team of you giving out backpacks to people in need in our community, you were worshiping God. That was the worship. Secondly is ministry. Love your neighbor. You do that through ministry. Yesterday, giving out backpacks, you were loving your neighbor. You were doing ministry. See, you were doing the great commandment. Those of you who prepared backpacks, you were doing ministry. You were loving your neighbor. You were worshiping God. Those of you who gave them out, you were doing ministry. You were worshiping God. We need to think about that in terms of everything that we do as a church. Then there's the evangelism. Go and make disciples. Most important part about that phrase is make disciples. 
So that's the evangelism part. We do the work of the evangelist. We go and we tell people about Jesus and we make disciples of them. And then he says, baptize them. You see, baptism in those days, it was a public declaration that uh, you were claiming Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but it was also bringing you into the local fellowship. And so when we baptize people, we are welcoming you into the family of God, the big family, but we're also welcoming you into our family. And so we are, uh, we're, we're creating a fellowship with each other and that we're going to do life together. We're going to grow up together. We're going to grow in Christ together. And then he says, teach these new disciples to obey well, that's discipleship. That's the Bible study part. That's the part where we spend time together, study God's word together, and then challenge each other and stretch each other. So that's the discipleship part. So with worship, ministry, and evangelism, and fellowship, and discipleship, we fulfill the great commandments, and we fulfill the great commission. That's the purpose of Gateway Baptist Church. The methods of how we do that constantly change. Constantly change. So, what do we do? There was a story that Billy Graham told. And he was actually speaking at a convention of newspaper editors and he told a story of the old days when guards were actually stationed at railroad crossings to stop traffic as the trains approached. And, uh, and this is back in the horse and buggy day. And in one town, a train hit a horse and buggy and killed three people. So at the inquiry, Billy Graham was sharing, they questioned the guard were you there? And he said, yes. Did you wave your lantern to stop them? Because it was at night. Did you wave your lantern to stop the people? And uh, he said, yes. So they cleared him of any responsibility. Years later, on his deathbed, the guard said this. They forgot to ask me if my lamp was lit. And he carried that guilt all those years because his lamp was not lit and they couldn't see it and they died. You know, you, you can talk about Jesus all you want to, but unless Jesus is lighting up your life, unless the light of Jesus is shining through your life, it's not going to make much difference. So my question to you is, is your light lit? And, and a church, if we're driven by all those other things, traditions, programs, personalities, our light's not lit. Our light is only lit when we're driven by God's purposes for this church. And when we have a great commitment 
as a body of believers to the great commandment of Jesus and to the great commission of Jesus, that's when you have a great church. So as you enter into this 21 days of prayer and fasting, even if you decide not to fast, that's okay, 21 days of prayer. The fasting part is an individual decision. But the 21 days of prayer, as you enter into that, maybe one of the questions you need to ask, Lord, is my lantern lit? So that when I warn people about the danger of a life without Christ, they can even see it. Do they see Jesus in me? Let's pray.